Welcome to the She Runs It podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole DeBoom. And Sarah Ratzloff. We are two successful female business owners who have found strength, confidence, and community through fitness. And we want to share that gift with you. Join us as we talk about what really matters to active women. We can't wait to hang out with you. Now let's get started. Sarah, we're back. Oh, we're back. Another podcast episode. I know we've hit like the dirty dozen. We're on 12. Oh, are we really? Yeah. Can you believe it? That's exciting. I mean, I it's dirty dozen is a good, a good segue into gut health, huh? <laughs> I mean, and I love that we're calling this one, what the gut, because right? it's time for us to like get a little bit dirty with this podcast. And, you know, we're entering the second episode in our food related and eating related series. Yes. And- You and I are clearly not experts judging from the last episode we just (laughs) recorded. Not even close. We knew that we needed to bring someone on to talk about gut health today. So uh, what's kind of cool is that I have on Run This World, my other podcast, I've interviewed this amazing woman that I went to college with who became a family practice doctor and was rocking, you know, kind of moving more into women's issues and deliveries and all kinds of stuff and was sidelined by her own health issues. Which oh, that's interesting. You could go over to my podcast, anybody listening here, and read one that is titled literally a quote from our podcast, which was a question Kristen Ryman was asked, which was, would you like to live or would you like to die? And if that doesn't intrigue you, um, I think today's conversation with the amazing Kristen Ryman, who, after hearing that question, decided that she would like to live and figure out what was wrong with her. It turns out that she was suffering from Lyme disease, which completely changed the trajectory trajectory of her own career. And now she basically calls herself a mystery illness doctor, and she is out there helping people with all these things that the more structured medical community does not necessarily want to address in everyday uh, practice. So I know exactly what you're talking about. They like to stifle it all with drugs. Well, maybe today we can do a little case yeah. study on you, Sarah. Oh, oh, now that's scary. But, but that would, I want to hear the story about, um, uh, do you want to live or do you want to die? Well, so let's can, bring Kristen on. You know, she's you. like, she's hanging out in the corner waiting for the, us to pull the curtain apart. So Kristen, welcome to the She Runs It podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, ladies. It's so great to be here. It's so fun to be with you both. And I'm excited and honored to be invited on your podcast. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to spend a Sunday evening than with you talking about our guts. But you know what? Sarah made a great point. Before we just dig into the topic at hand, like I put a little bit of a teaser out there. Um, I think it'd be cool to hear a summarized, (laughs) summarized version of your incredible journey to where you are today. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll try to keep it short because we did take a deep dive into that on your podcast. But essentially, I was like, you know, I was like running this world back in, you know, 2011, 2012. And I was bitten by a tick and went down. Like I went down hard 
So I went from working, you know, intensively in the inner city in a residency clinic as a faculty in family medicine, raising four kids, being married, running a household, and I couldn't get out of bed for, you know, I, I was literally like sleeping 12 to 14 hours, you know, every day, night. I was still trying to work. Eventually that didn't go, that didn't last very long. And I, you know, retired to my bed essentially. And I, you know, I was in so much pain that I literally was, in, you know, unable to be upright. So it was basically like the only place I was, I was able to exist was, you know, flat in the horizontal in my bed. I had to stop nursing my one-year-old and give that up, even though I always nurse forever. And that was my last baby. I had to stop working. Eventually I was in bed for five to six weeks. I lost 30 pounds at like, you know, I didn't really have to lose. And um, yeah, it wasn't until this family doctor slash homeopath slash shaman, basically in my town who I found my way to through, you know, who knows how he like sat me down on our couch, heard my whole story and was like, well, are you trying to live or are you trying to die? Because it makes every bit of difference in terms of how I support you on your journey. And, you know, that made my head explode a little bit. And I was like, Oh, like that's the only question that matters here, you know? And um, I sat with that question without really knowing how to answer it. And ultimately my body kind of answered it for me. Like the next morning I was sort of, you know, lying there going, I'm still not sure. My body's like, we're getting out of bed. We're going to physical therapy. And I got home from therapy and I was like, wow, um, time to go back to bed. My body was like, no, we're going to go sit in the garden. I was like, really? What? What? Like we haven't been in the garden for months. And I sat out in our garden and I saw still in pain, by the way, and um, noticed the red bud was blooming. And I was like, wow, like it's spring. I've basically been not really present in my body since November when I was bitten by this tick. And I realized that that's not really how dying people behave. So I texted the homeopath shaman and I was like, um, I don't know if I have a decision, but my body seems to have decided that I'm living. And she's like, great, keep me posted. You know, <laughs> so it just sort of went from there. And it wasn't like this miraculous, I was out of pain, but I'm telling you, like the suffering was gone. It was still 10 out of 10 in pain, but I was no longer suffering and, and, you know, unsure of what I was doing. I was just like, well, okay, I guess each step of the day is different. And my body seems to be keeping me on a path towards life. It took me a couple of years to really feel like I was inhabiting my body fully again. I mean, that was a whole other thing, but yeah, that's, that's where that question was so powerful for me. No, Kristen, when this was happening, did you know that you, did you know that you had Lyme disease? Like, were you aware that you had been bitten by a tick? So, Yeah. I mean, unlike so many of my clients now, um, so many people don't have a diagnosis or they have a misdiagnosis because, you know, we didn't really, we weren't really trained properly on how to look for Lyme and how to treat it and how to think, you know, holistically about it. Um, but Luckily, in my case, I had prior to the tick bite, I had come across a patient who'd come to see me as a new patient in this clinic I was working in in the inner city. And she said, you know, I have all these symptoms. I used to be a healthy, happy, normal person. And I got a tick bite and I'm convinced that I have Lyme and like five other co-infections. And I didn't even really know what she meant by that at the time. But she was like, and if you're going to be my doctor, you're going to have to read this, you know, hands me the stack of internet, you know, printouts. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be reading that. And I, as I was reading it, I realized, oh my gosh, like Lyme is actually a very politicized diagnosis that I didn't even know was politicized. There's actually a lot of misinformation about it. There are big, big reasons that people are kept in the dark. And I don't fully understand that. But the bottom line is the evidence and science shows here that people can be infected with Lyme for years and years and years after a course of doxycycline or even a course of IV cefcriaxone, you know, and, in, and I realized in that moment that I was missing Lyme all over the place. And a month later I was bitten. So I was sort of like primed and my, you know, already kind of open to wow. the idea that if this comes my way, like I got to really jump on it and, and, you know, treat it longer than maybe I thought I was supposed to based on my training. Wow. Isn't this crazy? I know. I know. It's like, I don't know uh, what came first. <laughs> the idea that you might get Lyme or getting Lyme. Um, it's kind of crazy how all these things go hand in hand, isn't it? Yeah. And how this illness that you had that took you down to the point of not knowing if you were choosing to live or die actually brought you to the place you are today, which is in a career that I feel like there, there's so much more maybe passion around the work you're doing, um, helping people solve things that, you know, they thought were unsolvable, that maybe they were in your same position. I wonder, have you ever had to ask a patient that same question you were asked? I ask every patient that question at some point. I mean, wow. a little bit differently for each person. And some people have already articulated that for themselves. I mean, my, my book, I put all this in a book because, you know, I, I'm one person and I have a lot of people calling me every week to come see me. And I, I really wanted a place where I could download all of this information that I came by, you know, the hard way in order to make it useful for people. And in my book, chapter three is essentially the big question. Like, do not proceed to chapter four if you're not clear about whether you want to live, because there's actually a lot of hard work ahead. It's wow. not easy to recover yourself from this disease. And you have to be your own advocate. And you have to, you have to put your stake in the ground and decide what's your goal. Because if your goal is, to, is, is that you're not sure yet, don't bother with this stuff. Like, it's too hard if, to put your body through the motions if your brain is, like, ambivalent about it. You know, how did your experience with Lyme and then the subsequent sort of taking on, you know, Life After Lyme, the name of your book, and helping carve a path for people who may be able to then find the relief from that disease, like, how did that open more doors that are going to lead to what we're talking about today? You know, what yeah, one well step led to the next? Yeah, it's so it's so funny because at the time it all felt very very cloudy. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was literally taking one like I was literally like, okay, am I going to get up today? I guess I'm getting up. Am I going to go swim in my pool today? I guess I'm already in the pool. Like my, my body was driving that, and there wasn't a lot of intentionality, which I you know is a little weird to admit because I consider myself a very intentional person, a very thoughtful person. So I spent you know a couple of years really just kind of letting my body guide me. Um, and, and it was foggy and I wasn't sure, you know, I felt as though, you know, wow, I'm like birthing myself anew as a doctor. I'm clearly not going to be the, you know, I always think of myself as like a midwife in doctor's clothing. I really wanted to be this family doc who empowered my patients to like birth naturally and breastfeed for 10 years and 
you know, all these different things, make food from scratch for their babies. Like that was kind of like really what I wanted to do and what I was doing until this hit me. And then I was like, wow, I can't get up in the middle of the night anymore and deliver people like that's sleep has become, you know, adequate sleep is one of my non-negotiables in order to remain Lyme free, right. To keep my immune system healthy. And so there were all these pieces along the way that I, in retrospect, I realized I was building my toolbox out of necessity to keep myself healthy and to maintain, you know, to build myself back to life. I was recreating myself, but at the time it felt like, you know, I was pregnant with this new me and I hadn't done the 20 week ultrasound and I hadn't even peed on the stick. So I wasn't even sure if I was pregnant, but like I, something was coming through me, you know? And, um, so in retrospect, yeah, everything I did is, is all the stuff I use now and including, you know, including diets, including eating whole real foods and, and, you know, limiting carbs and eating lots of healthy fats and avoiding, you know, processed packaged stuff and the dirty dozen, like I kind of wish I could be episode 15. So I could be like the clean 15 girl, but you know what I mean? There's- we'll bring you back. Thanks. Thanks. So there's so many things well, I've learned along the way, just basically out of survival. That I now it's, well, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this. We, we did an episode and I think I mention it in every new episode we do. We did an episode called um, persistence, the power of showing up and essentially was sort of the same kind of idea, right? Which is, I would consider myself an intentional person as well, right? I have my goals. I know what I'm doing. Here's how I'm going to get there. And then sometimes it all goes to hell, right? Mm-hmm. And you actually to your point, I don't know if I'm pregnant, I didn't pee on the stick, I didn't take the ultrasound, like what's happening. But it was, it's this idea of like showing up every day and what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? Without really having this idea of like where you are now, um, that wasn't where you started. You were like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this. But it's just fascinating to me for anyone of our listeners who have listened to that episode, you literally said what I, what that episode was about, which was who knows what can happen, but there's this idea of taking one step every single day and eventually changing your life because you just kept showing up, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, I don't mean to digress, but I was like, oh, what a great yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it relates to that episode because it's important to always bring that episode back, I think. Right. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And I think the other piece about that for me that became very clear in that moment of, you know, I remember thinking I could live or I could die kind of going down these different pathways in my head as I was trying to sort this out for myself kind of intellectually, right. Or conceptually. Mm -hmm. And the way I usually make a decision is I imagine myself on a pathway and I see how I would feel. I imagine what I would feel. And the second I feel it, I know either that's not for me or that's totally the thing. And I went down both pathways and neither of them was like a big aha. Like I didn't have any emotion. I was like, I could die. And actually it would be fine. My work is continuing without me. My family's actually, my husband's taking care of everyone. Like everyone knows how to use the Ouija board. We'd be in good touch on, you know, birthdays and Christmas. Like I felt, I felt this complete equanimitas about like, oh, and that would be okay. No emotion. And then I went down this other path in my head and I was like, or I could live. And again, there was no emotion, but there was this very strong, immediate clarity of like, sure, you could live. And if you live, there's no more fear about who you're becoming as a doctor. There's no more you know, guilt about anything you do. You're only living for things that bring bliss and love and jumping on trampolines 
and joy and saving the planet. Like period, that's it. There's nothing else that you're going to live for. And I was like, oh, well, those are interesting terms. And I, I guess I could agree with them, but I still didn't have an answer, you know, until the next day when my body dragged me out of bed and took me to therapy. So, um, but that was, that was like it. And I, I really feel like for those next several years, as I was really kind of just taking the next right step, the right step was always determined by this litmus test of like, is that on the spectrum of human emotion and human kind of like, you know, experience, is that going to take me away from neutral towards despair? Or is that going to take me away from neutral towards bliss? And I would always choose the bliss. I would always choose, and even if it wasn't blissful, right? If you had to be neutral with the possibility of getting better or already better on that spectrum. And that was it. That was my decision-making. It was really a fascinating new chapter for me. <laughs> Sarah, can you see why this woman was one of my greatest influences in college and my closest it. bonds? And I've always loved you from the minute I met you, my six foot yeah, five Amazon sister. friend. Same. So hanging out like, in the locker room naked. <laughs> yeah. It's been a lot of time naked in the locker room. I mean, but to be fair, like there were a lot of other girls there and that's just sort of what we did because we were on a team together, but we probably wouldn't have done that anymore. Just to clarify. So, you know, it kind of leads us to the path to bliss versus despair. What we're going to talk about today is the thing is there's so much about you. I mean, we could have like 12 episodes and cover 12 entirely different topics or related topics and we might. You might and be those recurring be the dirty dozen. <laughs> That's going to be our dirty dozen. You'll be our recurring guest. But I recently, you know, I get your emails. You have this great thriving business, um, helping people figure themselves out. And uh, I got one of your recent emails was about healing your gut. And I thought, oh my God, we need to have Kristen on because both Sarah and I could use some help. And then we figured if we could use some help, everybody listening, you know, may as well use a little gut health too, help and health. So, um, you know, the first question that kind of comes to mind is like, why do we even care about gut health? Why is this a topic that we need to be discussing? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, and so the quick answer is, you know, healing the gut, there's a lot of different things I do in my practice. Healing the gut is something that is fundamental to everybody. Um, because if you haven't done the, you know, the, the basic things that need to be done to heal a gut, you, your gut's not healthy, period. So there are a lot of symptoms people sometimes look at and think, well, that means my gut's not happy if I have gurgling or gassy, bloaty, farty after meals, or if I have cravings, or if I have you know, a lot of diarrhea, constipation, those are clear gut phenomena, right? But like, so many other things are gut related. So like depression and anxiety are tied to the gut, OCD and panic are tied to the gut, um, skin conditions are tied to the gut. I mean, the gut and the skin are the same organ, they're just, you know, the, the skin is the gut on the outside, they attach at the mouth and the anus, and it's the same big thing, right? So if you have something, if you have blemishes, or you have acne, or you have psoriasis or eczema, um, or any rashes, any outbreaks, you can, you can bet that the gut's also dealing with some inflammation. Um, chronic diseases, hypertension, and asthma, and diabetes, all of these things can potentially be improved by healing the gut. So Chinese medicine likes to say the gut or the earth element and the gut are the center kind of of the universe, the center of health. And it's really, it really seems to be true. Um, one of my mentors is Mark Hyman, and he said, 
95% of chronic disease is preventable and treatable with lifestyle and nutrition. We ate our way into this mess. We can eat our way out of it. Oh my God. Okay. Did anybody else like smile like me and Sarah did when you said farty and diarrhea? I'm sorry. Just had to do a quick throwback. Sarah and I were both like, (laughs) Um, but that's the thing. Like your gut, all this stuff, it's, it's kind of dirty and a little bit stigmatized to talk about. And people like to separate symptoms and try to, you know, point in one direction only for a certain symptom. And what you're kind of saying is like, this is the, this is the core this is the place where if you start here, you may not even have to go to these five other places tr- to try to fix some things that are totally you know, creating less optimum health for you. Totally. You know, one of my um, teachers was a fellow resident of mine, Ina Grundman, during residency, and she helped me clarify because I, you know, I came out of this whole Lyme thing and I had all these tools and I was like, well, you know, all the things that I had to do to crawl out of that hole are things that actually are the same things that are going to keep me healthy. And they're actually generalizable. Like everybody could benefit from more sleep, more spiritual connectivity, more better exercise, healthier relationship to their people, you know, clean environments, no mold, a perfect diet. Like all those things are like, they're not, you know, the cool thing about Lyme is it never asks you to start smoking crack to get better. You know, it only requires that you up-level your lifestyle. And so why not generalize? And I, I had so much going on. And Ina said to me, you know, why don't you just start with one thing? Why don't you start with diet? Like, just pick one thing and help everyone get really good at that. And I was like, oh, you're right. I should do that. And so um, it's, it is generalizable. Everyone can benefit from it. And one of the first people who came to see me actually was coming, not because she thought she had a problem with her gut, but because she was on like four blood pressure medicines. And had been for, so for 10 or 20 years. And for 10 or 20 years, her doctor kept saying every year, well, your blood work looks fine. Your pressure's controlled with these four medications. You're good to go. And she was like, yeah, but do I have, like, it just didn't feel right to her that she had to be on blood pressure medications. Like, is my condition a deficiency of metoprolol? Like, what's going on here that this is like required band-aids? And so someone, you know, clued her into me. She came to see me. And she was like, what should I do? I'm like, well, I think we should start with the gut. Like, let's just start there. Long story short, she came back three weeks later and had meticulously written down all, first of all, the foods that she gave up for her elimination diet, but also her blood pressures every day. And then after day three or four, she started peeling off her blood pressure medications because her pressures were so low because she had dropped inflammation so dramatically just by beginning to heal the gut. And the gut heals really quickly. Three or four days, days. you're already turning over the cells. Sorry? In just a few days? Yeah. By day six, she was down to two medications. In six days of eating better. In six days of removing all the potential allergens and, you know, primary problems, plus the potential, I call them passive bystanders, the things that if your gut's unhappy, other things can become involved and perpetuate the cycle of unhappiness. It's called a leaky gut or an inflamed gut. And the gut, the guts are real. I mean, the gut takes a beating, right? We're putting stuff in there all day. There's trillions of microorganisms. This cell, it's a single cell layer and it reproduces really rapidly. So those cells turn over at a really quick rate. It's kind of like skin, remember? Skin and uh-huh. gut. So your, your gut begins to heal in a few days. You know, within about six or seven days, the whole, the whole thing's turned over. So a lot can happen. And when you That's stop putting in inflammatory foods in there, the gut starts to heal. It's like, 
amazing. That's crazy. So can I ask, I, I need a clarifying question. When we say gut, we're saying like stomach intestines, right? Like is that, or are there more components it's a great question. So I include gut. I start at the mouth and the nose, which both have, you know, sort of mucus oh. membrane and it goes down through your throat, through your esophagus, down into your stomach. And each part of your gut is specialized to do different things, right? So in the esophagus, you've got one place where swallowing happens consciously, and then it gets, goes through a transition zone where it's not conscious anymore. And then it's involuntary swallowing. And then you get down to your stomach, which is like a whole big factory churning and secreting acids and you know, breaking mm-hmm. proteins up and making you feel that like sound you get when you're hungry or raw, raw, that's your stomach yeah. turning. And then it goes into the small intestine, which is where the pancreas begins dumping a bunch of enzymes, which help you break down your proteins and your fats and your carbohydrates, and also secrete some bicarb so that your body, so that your small intestine is not as acidic as your stomach was. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you start to break down all your food and the brush border in the small intestine is really specialized to pick up all those nutrients that you've broken down to their smallest constituent parts. And then you get moved down into the large intestine. The purpose of the large intestine is really to house the microbiome where all the starches, the indigestible starches are getting digested and broken down and actually turned into fuel for your colon cells so that your colon is actually eating the byproducts of your microbiome. And the microbiome does so many other things, right? It's helping educate our immune system. It's helping send messages to the brain that makes you happy or sad or anxious. It's doing all sorts of things. It's also reabsorbing water so that you're ending up with not the slurry that comes out of your small intestine, but kind of poop, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the, and then your, your large intestine pushes it into the rectum and then the rectum pushes it out into the toilet. And that whole long thing, you know, meters and meters and meters and meters of tube all differentiated in different places for different purposes is what I mean when I say the gut. Now I know people can't actually see, uh, I mean, maybe if you're watching us on YouTube, but <laughs> people don't like, I wish you could, cause my mouth is literally like hanging open, like. Yeah, what? and there's like a little bit of drool. A little bit of I drool. Just, there. Like, I'm imagining the, the, the yeah. Our gut is all of that. Like, so I have to. Um, <laughs> now I'm scratching my head because I don't even know where I don't even know where to start. It's fascinating. So in the last episode that Nicole and I just um, recorded, we discussed um, kind of how everyone's food journey is different and how important it is to listen to your body and how much misinformation there is. And there's absolute information overload. And it's oftentimes hard to actually process through what's real and what's not. Um, And so as you talk about this, I'm like, again, how, how do we not, how do we not know this information? What you're talking about is not often, um, it's not, it's when you go to your doctor, they don't, they don't talk about this. My doctor doesn't tell me these, you know, we, this is not a conversation, what you're just saying and how much everything is connected. Um, it's not common dialogue. It's not what we talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, doctors don't typically have time to talk about anything except for filling out their computer forms. Right. And so I'd be surprised if this was the topic of conversation. Number two, even though all of this stuff is stuff I learned in medical school, it's not stuff that had obvious applicability right away because it's not what doctors actually, doctors don't treat with food. You know, most doctors don't treat with food, right? They put band-aids on 
downstream issues that come up when people aren't eating properly. I remember like having this moment, even before I learned anything about nutrition, because by the way, doctors don't learn nutrition in medical school or residency period. Like if we learn anything, it's wrong. So just know that. So if your doctor hasn't done extra training, you know, functional medicine stuff, or learned from some naturopaths or had their own near-death experience with Lyme and had to like figure this out on their own, then your doctor doesn't know anything about nutrition. I'm sorry. It's just the case. So a lot of people are, um, you know, forgetting that we have, we have band-aid approaches to, to, to problems that really are preventable, right? But if doctors don't know how to prevent them, they don't know how to treat them either. So yeah, it's not something that's talked about. This is one of the gifts well, of Lyme, remember? This is stuff I got to learn because I had to learn it. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, so thankful for that tick because I learned so many things that are helpful to right. people. Yeah. For well, sure. and it doesn't make drug companies money when you eat correctly and you actually heal yourself. Um, it, I, I want to share a story if I can, because I think it's very um, related to this. Um, so growing up, I um, have all, I had um, constipation, diarrhea, gas, like all kinds of issues. Um, skin rashes. I still have asthma, like kind of that trio of, of, um, you know, my understanding is asthma and rashes and all that sort of come together. Right. So very allergic to nearly everything, including foods and all out outside, um, allergens. Um, but I have, I mean, I, you know, I, I would run, I was an athlete and I would, I would, or I would, when I would run half marathons, I mean, I always knew where a bathroom was because it was either diarrhea or it was constipation. I never really knew which one it was going to be. And my stomach always hurt. Like I could eat and it was like unidentifiable. Right. So I knew that I was lactose intolerant. Um, and so I would eat, let's say fettuccine Alfredo. And, um, we would think my mom would be like, oh, well, it must be that, you know, heavy cream sauce. Right. And so then I cut out the heavy cream sauce, but I'm still having all of these issues. And then um, it, it, it was just, you know, I, I lived on antacids. I have bottles of tongues and all of those things. And so um, when I was pregnant, after I was pregnant with my second child, um, I went on kind of a very um, stringent, like keto type type. Um, diet just to, to be able to drop the weight. And, and, um, and so, you know, there were no carbs or anything like that. And then as I started to, to, to introduce these carbs back in, um, it was almost like an elimination diet kind of that you're mentioning. And I could immediately see some of these things that I was eating were causing all of these problems. And it turned out and I was, I think I was 38, 39. Um, again, I've lived a life. I just thought I had a bad gut, a leaky gut or whatever it is. No one ever advised me or filled me in on what it, what it could be. And, and this whole gluten understanding was starting to, to gain traction over time. Um, and people began to understand it. And so my mom was like, well, maybe, you know, you have a gluten allergy or, and I was like, that's crap. That doesn't even exist. You know, <laughs> I was like, that's people are just making that up. Um, but over time, yeah, I kept having these issues and I was like, well, I guess maybe I'll try it. Like it had just gotten to the point where it was unmanageable. Um, and so I started eliminating, um, gluten, um, from my, from my diet. 
And um, my son's six now, so that must have been in the last five years. But literally every issue, I don't have diarrhea. I don't have constipation. I don't have any of those issues. So it's, and I would tell my mom, like I was literally poisoning my body for so many years, but no one would tell, like none of my doctors were like, Hey, maybe you should eliminate this. Or there's a, I mean, it, it's just, it, I was so mad. I'm still mad today that, that why is this not something that we know? And something as simple as that could have saved 40 years of severe discomfort. Right. You know, right. So. I really appreciate you sharing that story, Sarah. And on behalf of the Western medical establishment that <laughs> failed you, seriously, that failed you, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not okay. It, you know, it's not even that we don't know. It's that we don't yeah. know coupled with, we don't know how to say we don't know. Yeah. So we pretend it's nothing or that yeah. it's normal that, or that IBS is a thing. IBS is a, a thing only because we don't recognize yeah. the importance of food. You know, IBS means your diet doesn't agree with your body. Asthma means your diet doesn't agree with your body. Mm-hmm. Psoriasis and eczema mean your diet does not agree with your body. Obesity means your diet is not agreeing with your body. Right. And I'm sorry well, we missed that. Oh, it's, I'm just happy. I know it now. I feel so much, I feel so much better. Um, you know, having um, really, uh, I just, I'm a new, I'm a new person, you know, and it makes me feel more confident and empowered that I'm not sick all the time. And I know what's wrong with me. I I haven't touched Tums or, you know, Prilosec or any of those things for years. I don't, I don't need them. It literally healed me. So now when everybody, when anybody tells me like, oh, you know, I have, you know, I, I get, I have diarrhea a lot or whatever. I'm like, oh, well, it could be gluten. Like, you know, I'm just like <laughs> over it. Well, it could be this. Um, and I know that's not the case for everybody, but I do think, and we talked about this in our last episode a little bit as well as how personal this food journey is. And I think what you're saying, um, Kristen, is really key because it's not one thing for every person. You can't just say it's not gluten for everybody. For some people, it's pineapple. For some people, it's fish. Like for some people, like you just have to be, and just like you did for yourself, um, you have to be like your biggest advocate and you have to be aware this makes me feel blah, blah, blah. So what is that? How, you know, how do I learn more about that? How do I fix it? How do I eliminate it from my diet? How do I, you know, feel better? but it's, it's, it's a very personal journey, I think, for everyone. I agree. I I think that's well said. Although I would take, I would, I would argue one point with you, which is that I do think gluten is a problem for everyone. (laughs) And the reason I say that is that there are very good quality published studies in peer reviewed journals that show that gluten and the protein specifically in gluten gliadin actively dismantles the lining of the gut. So it creates a temporary breach. It opens up what's called gap junctions between the cells of the small intestine that are whole, tight, have to be tightly held together so that things don't slip in before they're fully digested. Because if they do, those things go into the bloodstream and because they're not fully broken down the way the bloodstream is supposed to see them, the immune system doesn't know what to do with that. It looks like a foreign invader. So I think this is probably 
you know, oh, wow. yeah, it's probably surprising to people because a lot of people will say, well, I eat gluten, I don't have any symptoms and I feel fine. I have no chronic disease. And I, you know, if that's really true and you've got no symptoms of any kind, by all means, enjoy your pizza. But I would tell you that most people, when they do an elimination diet, which takes out the, not only the gluten, but like, you know, a lot of other things, there are a lot of different ways to do elimination diets, but basically the top 10 allergens, you take them out for a few weeks, the gut heals. And then when you add things back, you really feel a difference. So uh, truthfully, I have not met anybody who's done an elimination diet correctly and, and then feels good when they add back gluten, which is indication that it, it really is not a good actor for anybody. Yeah. You know, I think this is really cool because Sarah, you unwittingly stumbled upon an elimination diet for yourself without even realizing you had done it. And, you know, Kristen, one of the main questions and things that you mentioned earlier is if you haven't done an elimination diet, your gut probably isn't healthy or at utmost health. Yeah. So how do you know if your gut is healthy? I mean, should everybody listening literally like tomorrow start an elimination diet? And then what does that even look like? How yeah. do they do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, the answer is yes, everybody should. Um, especially if, if people are concerned about their immune function. I mean, that's been like the top of hot topic this, you know, all through 2020 is people's immune system, because, you know, the people who are getting super sick, and this is always true, the people who get super sick from things that other people just, you know, get a little blip in there, they maybe have a fever, maybe they feel nothing, maybe they have a cold, the people who get really sick, like I got really sick from Lyme, not everybody does, are people whose, whose immune systems are, are struggling to regulate properly. And 70 to 80% of your immune cells live in the lining of the gut because you've got this outside in, inside interface, right? They're there as sentinels to make sure nothing slips in. That's not, you know, not safe. And so when particles of, you know, oranges or gluten or dairy or, you know, anything else that is a potential allergen slip through that leaky gut barrier, the immune system goes nuts about it. And then it directs its fire back at the gut and that cycle is perpetuated. And if you haven't done an elimination diet, chances are you have a leaky gut. Why? Because so many things cause a leaky gut. If you've ever had a bite of gluten, you have a leaky gut. If you've ever had any kind of medications, which are, you know, not food, right? Not something your ancestors evolved to recognize as food, you have a leaky gut. If you've ever um, been well stressed, you have a leaky gut. You know, the first thing you do when someone's admitted to the hospital is you put them on a PPI, you put them on something to prevent acid secretion in the stomach because you know the gut's at risk of, of developing ulcers and developing problems because of the stress of a hospitalization. Any stress can cause a leaky gut. So I do elimination diets like two or three times a year. It's just a tool that I pull out of my pocket and I'm like, you know what, why not? Because I haven't done it in a while and I've gone through a period of stress or because flu season's coming and I want to be rock solid in my immune system. So how does somebody start that? Do they go over to kristenryman.com and take a <laughs> six week course on how to boost your immune system now? Well, there is that. So there's that option. <laughs> I mean, my goal is for people to take tools that I share with them and run with them. So I, a couple times a year, I'll do free webinars, just teaching people how to do elim elimination diets, because I honestly believe it's, it's a tool that everyone should have in their back pocket and be able to pull out when they're trying to uplevel their health or maintain and prevent, you know, badness. But yeah, people who need a little handholding should take my course. It's an awesome course. It's a six week course. We do three week, we do one week of prep 
which is basically me on our private Facebook group talking everyone down off the ledge as they're trying to restock their pantry and prepare and get their family ready. Then we do three weeks of elimination using the Institute for Functional Medicine's basic, you know, comprehensive elimination diet. And then we do two more weeks of reintroduction. And it's kind of a handheld journey through healing the gut. And you can also buy books. You know, there's books on how to do it. There's not one way, one right way. Some people will need to take out different things. Like if you get to day three and you're not feeling a little bit of a detox reaction, like a little bit like, oh, a little groggy, maybe a little bit headache, maybe fever. That means that's that's actually a good sign usually because it means your gut's healing. It's starting to do its work of detoxing your body from lead and mercury and other stuff, glyphosate. And so your body's mobilizing it to the gut and you feel kind of crappy while that's happening. If you don't have that, if you're not experiencing results, we always tweak it and take out a few more things, try and get people really maximal results. But, you know, there's plenty of ways to learn how to do it. So anyone who wants to come to my webinars, I'd love to have, you know, have them come and I can share them. So after just a few weeks, you come away with something that's like gold, which is knowledge about your own body. Well, number one, yes. Number two, you usually feel freaking amazing because your energy is back. You're not having cravings. Your skin cleared up. You're not needing to sleep as much. You're not groggy after meals. I mean, it's it's trans transformative for people. And then the, the bonus is you get to use that healed gut as an experimental ground when you add things back. And it's going to give you really good information because it's no longer like dealing with all this inflammation. I like, I liken it to if you, if you're covered in poison ivy, have you ever had poison ivy, like all like big poison ivy, itchy everywhere, red everywhere, inflammation everywhere. If a mosquito comes and bites me and I'm covered with poison ivy, I'm not going to notice the mosquito bite. It's only when all the inflammation dies down in the gut that a new insult will cause it to be a little persnickety. And so Sarah, that's what you're talking about. When you said, I noticed when I added these things back, your gut was healed or you wouldn't have noticed. It would have been random like before when you didn't know it was going to be diarrhea or constipation or nothing. I had no idea. Because when you when say that, that's what it was. You can't tell what's mm -hmm. causing it until you take everything out and heal the gut. You know, so I, I have ahead, a couple Sarah. questions though. Yeah. I just want to, um, so how long do you really have to, like how long of an elimination diet? Like, is this, I guess I always thought it was like 30 days. Can you do it for less than 30 days? You can do anything you want. The gut heals in like three to four days. You can start getting information that the gut is healing in three to four days. I usually run it for 21 days because for a number of reasons. Number one, because by that time, 95% of people will have enough healing under their belt, enough reduction in inflammation in their body that the gut will be useful when you add things back. It will tell you what it doesn't like. Um, some people do 30 days. Some people do 90 days. I met someone yesterday who had done six months of elimination. I was like, oh, good Lord, that's oh, wow. a really long time. You don't, <laughs> I mean, unless you haven't gotten results, in which case, ideally, you're tweaking it earlier. I mean, I start tweaking it at day three or four. If someone does not have a die off on day three or four in my course, I'm like, okay, let's go 2.0 version. Let's take out nightshades or let's take out, you know, if you have joint pain, we'll take out nightshades. Let's take out grains if you've got mold issues. Like, let's, let's go deeper into it so that by the end of 21 days, you really do feel better and you're ready to add things back. So then I have one other question as well. Do, do, do you have to give up caffeine? Like there's, this is like no coffee. Sarah, you don't actually have <laughs> to do anything. If you choose, however, to do a comprehensive elimination diet, 
I strongly suggest giving up caffeine because it is one of those top 10 allergens and potential kind of Uh passive bystander allergens. And so, yes, you will get better results. You will have more of a comprehensive safety net under your experiment if you give up caffeine. Sarah, I love that the options are open. And there's all these companies. I'm okay with that. Totally you know, there's tons coffee. of companies that are making these coffee, mushroomy coffee things or fake coffee <laughs> drinks that are actually herbal and I think good for you. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it either without the coffee, but um, <laughs> we might have to give this a whirl. Um, but I love my that. husband, Nicole, you know, my husband is a, I don't know if you know that he's a coffee maniac, I would say. He used to have, I mean, it's much better now because we do elimination diets every year and he's actually diminished his coffee intake as a result, but he still drinks coffee every morning. In fact, the first time I said I was doing this, he was like, okay, but do we have to give up coffee? And I was like, I mean, it's on the list. He's like moratorium on conversations about this. Not <laughs> but then I got home from the conference where I was learning. I was at a functional medicine conference and I got home and my kids were like, oh my gosh, you have so much energy, mommy. Like you get up in the morning, you swim in our pool, you make everyone breakfast and you make us lunch and you're starting dinner in the crock pot. When we come downstairs, like what's going on? And I was like, well, I think it might be the diet. They're like, well, if we do the, this is like the 10 year old and the 13 year old. They're like, if we do that diet with you, are we going to lose the bagel? You know, that we used to call the little belly. Are we going to lose our bagel? I'm like, I mean, I don't know. It's my first time doing, it, but I can't imagine it's going to hurt. And he's like, they're like, okay, we're in. So Greg comes down in the morning. I was like, honey, just FYI, me, the boys, the baby and Tula are all on the diet now. He's like, oh, for God's sake. That man went on the diet. He lay on the couch telling me his brain was bleeding for three days. Uh-huh. <laughs> I put acupuncture needles in him. It didn't really help. Or if it helped, it was such, didn't make a dent. And uh, after about three days, he was, he was good to go. But yeah, it's, I, I, I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker myself, so I can't fully empathize, but I empathize, uh-huh. you know, sort of from the sidelines because I've seen how much Greg suffers and he's done the diet like six times with me. So he survived it and came back for more. Can we, can we talk about something you mentioned earlier on when you were going through the entire gut flow, like all the way down, you said microbiome um, is the place where it feeds messages to your brain and that, you know, I've started to see some different information out there that the gut and the brain have a very strong connection. So I wondered if you could talk a little more about gut health and mental health, especially during pandemics when people are struggling with their mental health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, I mean, I think of the gut and the brain as like the same organ. They're like kissing cousins, you know, they're like naked in a locker room together. They are (laughs) (laughs) They make the same hormones. They make the same neurotransmitters, which are the chemical messengers that the brain uses to talk to itself. Well, the gut uses the same ones as serotonin, GABA. These things are made in the gut. In fact, in some cases, more of them are made in the gut than they are in the brain. There's a whole plexus of neurons that wrap around all your, you know, the whole tube from mouth to anus. And those neurons all feed back to the brain. There are two long braid-like nerves called the vagus nerves, which come down from the brain and hang down into the body and like wrap around the heart, wrap around the esophagus, go to the stomach, go to the small intestine, go to the pancreas. Go to the, I mean, the, that vagus nerve is like the super highway for everything gut related. And it sends messages not only downward from the brain to the gut. So if we're thinking happy thoughts, if we're thinking about food, we start to get digestion you know, sounds happening there. We start to secrete 
enzymes because we're thinking thoughts about food, right? We're salivating. That's because the vagus nerve is talking to the body and saying, okay, food's coming, let's get ready. But it also sends messages back upwards. So the little braids are taking messages from the gut and all those parts of the gut back up to the brain, including chemicals made by the microbiome. So this is this crazy thing, right? We have trillions of bacteria. We also have a bunch of yeast in there, okay? Hundreds and millions of thousands of yeast in there. And when the yeast gets super overgrown because we're feeding them carbs our whole life, like most of us do, like we certainly did in college, Nicole, right? We were mm-hmm. carbohydrates, the Ben and Jerry's jug, that whole thing, we just power through them. Mm-hmm. Well, so Kristen, I just have to ask a question. Did you stand outside the pizza joints at 2 a.m. drunk? begging for free pizza at Yale. Um, Was that you? So everything up until the begging for free pizza, I can, I can attest to, I don't (laughs) know that I was part of the, of the begging for free pizza, but then I might not have remembered. Nicole might have to tell me whether. (laughs) I'm sure you were there a few times. Fuzzy in that, in that space. Yeah. Yeah, Most of college was fuzzy. I mean, we'll let that, we'll let that one pass for you. Well, but you but, know what but, I, but you know what's so relevant to that question is I remember sitting in Yorkside with my roommates and Yorkside late night there they'd bring out and Nicole often was in the other side of Yorkside with her roommates and we're all eating pizzas and garlic bread dipped in you know this is before I discovered gluten is a poison I, um, you know we're pounding through this stuff and I remember right. one roommate getting really angry when someone would take the last garlic bread and that anger Actually, I truly believe that anger is coming from the microbiome. The yeast in our microbiome secrete over 484 chemicals, which travel up the little braids of the vagus nerve and make us feel either really happy and giddy and goofy and silly if we got to get that last garlic bread or really not if someone else did because they want it. That's their food source is carbs. They drive our mood. They drive our behavior. So something you said earlier about like everyone's different. Yes. And trust your body's response, sort of, because 90% of the cells in our body are not human cells. 90% of the cells in our body are not human cells. Now, most of them are the microbiome, so and they're smaller than our cells, so it's kind of misleading. But 90% of all the different consciousness and all these cells are not necessarily working towards our goal, especially if we've got a yeast overgrowth and they're working towards the goal of more garlic bread and definitely Ben and Jerry's on the way home. Or it wasn't Ben and Jerry's. Who was it? It was um, Ashley's, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Ashley's ice cream, for sure, with a mix-in and probably some Reese's peanut butter cups and then oh. fudge on top and whipped cream. Uh-huh. Hold the cherry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like something I could do in my 20s as well. Oh, my God. Um, so, so I go don't ahead, know Sarah. how you feel when you listen Um to Kristen, Nicole, but I feel like a hundred percent amateur. I'm like, why are we, why do we have a, we don't even know all this, all this stuff. Kristen, <laughs> what you are sharing is like mind blowing. It just, it's amazing to me. And I think it's life-changing awesome. um, for people as well. And I, I just, I feel like you should be on every podcast. So you can add that like like an element of, no, this is really what's happening. Like, I know you think it's this, but here's how your body works. It's just, it's amazing. And it's amazing to me that more people don't know this information. And I'm so happy that you're out there um, 
sharing it. No, and you mentioned that you had a, a book um, earlier. Um, I, but your book, is that about Lyme's disease? My book is, my, my husband would like to answer that question. He was like, can you not call it life after Lyme? Because he read every word. That poor man, he read every word. He, you know, had grammar suggestions. He had, you know, the poor man. And he, it's, two, it's 254 pages. And he said, you know, first of all, this should be three books. Second of all, I don't think you should call it about, it's not really about Lyme disease. It's a book for everybody. It's a holistic guide to staying healthy and recovering from any badness or preventing any badness. So why not, why not make it more generalizable? I'm like, well, it's because the Lyme people are the ones calling me and I want to give it to them. I want them to have something. So it doesn't have to be me taking care of a million people, right? Like I want them to have a playbook. And so it really, the, you know, the branding is unfortunate because I think that it really is a book for anybody who wants to have a, a, an understanding of all the different puzzle pieces that go into staying holistically and vibrantly well. And chapter four is about healing the gut. So yeah, everything here is in okay. that chapter. Um, but yeah, it's called life and after Lyme. So you, you have a lot of information there. You also have, is it your website? Um, yeah. Is it, is it kristenreiman.com? Yeah, kristenreimanmd.com. MD.com. Okay, so Nicole, we can put that in the, in the in show the notes. Website. Oh, yeah, for right? sure. And then you also have a six week, um, six week course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, course. Yeah. I run it a couple times a year. I'm in the middle of one right now. And, uh, Anyone who wants to, to be in on that course, just, you know, you can get on my website, add, get added to my newsletter because that that group, that little tribe of people who sign on to my newsletter and get my free, you know, I have a paper that I wrote on um, eight steps to healing chronic Lyme, kind of the big picture. Um, mm-hmm. That tribe gets first crack at anything I do. So I always invite them to free webinars. I have a series going this year called Fireside Chats. I'm doing with one of my favorite integrative medicine mama docs and just one of my besties Christan. you would love her nicole she's wacky like you she's like a firecracker and she and i are doing we're doing um we're doing monthly free fireside chats literally by the fireplace in my house that doesn't actually work it's not even a real fireplace but there we go you know um kristen we talked about maybe trying to help people just by doing a quick nutshell which was sort of the five-ish pillars of gut health. Now that we all understand, after listening to this conversation for almost an hour, how important your gut health is, what would these pillars be that people need to focus on? Mm -hmm. So um, the first one I would say isn't even gut-related. It's stress management. You know, and I would, I would throw sleep into that category because I don't, ha- I don't manage my stress well when I'm haven't slept enough. Meaning I, if I'm using an alarm clock to wake up, I'm by definition, I'm sleep deprived, right? Your body will sleep until it's done sleeping. So um, stress management is really important. It's important to have tools to kind of calm the nervous system, which again, think of those braids coming down behind your ears and moving to every organ in your digestive tract. You have to be cultivating calm to have peristalsis work, you know? You have to be um, finding ways, whether it's yoga or prayer or exercise or tapping is a great one. Find a way to calm your nervous system and, and transform it from flight and fight and freeze back into rest and digest. That's We did one. do a podcast episode on that called What Yay. the Heck is Mindfulness? 
Yeah. I don't mean to keep oh. putting plugs in. I just, it was such an easy way uh -huh. um, to quickly um, eliminate some, some stress. Um, and sort of recenter yourself, you know, if you can't get to a yoga for an hour or 30 minutes, whatever that is, this idea of mindfulness was like, you could quickly recenter and kind of um, manage your stress in some ways. So I, don't I mean love to that. I love simple tools that everyone can use. Right. So the next one would be like, don't put anything in your gut that your ancestors wouldn't have recognized as food. And that includes genetically modified things like corn and soy. That includes package and processings like ho-hos and ding-dongs. That includes, I was thinking that Nicole would laugh at the ho-hos and ding-dongs. I don't think she heard. <laughs> That includes, you know, things like a lot of medication that you may or may not need. You know, try to do things naturally. Like if you have a headache, use a little peppermint oil. Like find things that aren't you putting things in your mouth that your ancestors didn't recognize as food, period. Um, which isn't to say go stop taking all your medications, right? But like, think about it, make a decision and then think about whether you can build in other ways to manage your symptoms. Um, and guess what? When you stop putting non-foods into your gut, your gut's a lot happier and your brain's a lot happier and your inflammation goes down and your pain lowers. So there's a lot of good positive feedbacks that come from just like you did, Sarah, when you eliminated everything that wasn't a few you know, things on a keto okay. diet. Um, number three, put in whole real foods. Like the corollary to that is make sure you're eating vegetables from above the ground and below the ground of all different colors and sizes and shapes. Make sure you're eating, you know, if you're going to eat animal protein, make sure they're healthy animal protein. Don't eat animals that are eating foods that their great, 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 great grand cow wouldn't have encountered in the cow wild. Okay. So grass fed <laughs> for cows and, you know, pastured for pork and wild caught for fish. Those things really matter because if you don't eat that way, you're transferring their toxic burden into you. Um, and healthy fats are really important. So this is number three still, but like put in whole real foods and don't skimp on the fats. We're taught to believe that, or we're taught to think that fats are, you know, the, the, bane of all of our problems, but they're really not. It's, it's the carbs and the sugars and the processing and the junk that is really the problem. And so that's a whole other conversation, but, um, and a lot can be said about that. Nourishing Traditions is a great book to read if you're really looking to re-educate yourself about, you know, sort of the diet dictocrats and why we think the way we do and why we've been taught and brainwashed about well, cholesterol. We talked about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then number four would be make sure you're drinking water. Like your cells need water. Our cells are, you know, nine, probably 90% water. And we, most of us don't get nearly enough, you know, half your body weight in ounces of water a day is a good starting place, you know? So if you're 160, 80 ounces of pure water per day is a good starting place. And then number five, if, if all that's done and you're really looking to go next level, do an elimination diet. They're not that hard to do. It does feel like the hardest thing you can imagine to give up the, you know, your sacred cow foods for three weeks. But in the end, it's only three weeks. It's only three weeks. And anybody I'm convinced can do anything for three weeks. And people who, even people who are, are, aren't feel like one of our good friends from swimming world, you know, remember Aaron. So Aaron did the diet and she was like, I don't think I have any issues. I feel great. And I'm like, well, you look like a, you know, a supermodel still at age 50 and you're swimming every day. So I'm, I'm also going to be surprised if you discover anything, 
but she had more energy. She lost all her cravings. She was like, I'm really glad I did this. Like anyone can do it. You don't have to have a problem in order to think you're going to benefit from it. So those are my top five of like, you know, healthy, happy gut in that order. I love it. Sarah, do we even need takeaways or were those our takeaways? No. I don't think so. <laughs> Sarah, how are you? What's happening over there? I'm just amazed. This um, this information is, um, as, I've, as I've gotten older, um, I've come to understand how... Um, I guess Western medicine doesn't necessarily take into um, account our, our bodies. Um, I've done a lot more acupuncture and cupping and gua, gua sha. Is that how you say it? It hurts like hell, but it's super effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and just this idea that we can naturally heal ourselves um, that has taken me so long to find it out on my own. And it's hard to know where to get the, information. And I just, I'm blown away. I'm so happy to hear you sharing this. Um, and to know that you are also a trained doctor, like you to it's, you have both sides and it's almost very reassuring. And, um, you know, it's not, you're not a shaman over here on the side. You literally are grounded in both sides of this. Um, and, and you don't often, it's just such a different, um, perspective and it's really, um, it's just amazing. So I'm so happy to have met you, um, and to not only for myself personally to learn what, what you shared with us today, but I am so excited that we can share this with our audience. You know, Nicole and I, um, we have access to, you know, tens of thousands of, of women who just want to be healthy and happy and, and active. And this is not information that's readily available, you know? So um, I think my eyes are open. My jaw has dropped. I'm going to have to think about this elimination diet thing a little bit, <laughs> but, um, but Chris and I just, I can't thank you enough for all the good work that you've done in the world. And then also for taking the time to share it with us mm. as well. So that's what's happening in my brain. Thank you. You're so sweet to say those things. I'm happy to share this. Like I said, you know, I, I lived through a pretty, a pretty intense near death experience. And on the other side of that, like it's a gift to have information that's relevant to humanity. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we can wrap it up by saying that we are so grateful that you chose to live. Yeah. 100%. Thank you. My kids feel the same. Until (laughs) next time. And when we get off with this uh, episode, Sarah and I are probably going to be like, we need to have her back on to talk about immune systems and pooping and mental health and all the stuff. So you are a wealth of information. And not only that, you are a gift. So Mm, thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure.